Today's reading is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Good morning, everyone. Pastor Sharon with you this morning. Good to be here. Good to see faces out in this space. And for those of you who are connecting with us online, we're grateful to be together. You know, summertime, it's a great time for family connections, isn't it? Time to kind of slow down a bit, connect with family. And as I get older and older, as we all do, you know, we all get old at the same rate, right? As I get older, I'm more and more grateful for the siblings that God put in my life. So, little question for you. How many of you are an only child? Okay. How many of you have one or more siblings? Put your hands up. How many of you have three siblings? How many of you have five or more siblings? How many of you have six or more, seven or more, eight? I win. I win. I grew up in a big family. And uh, this picture shows just a little above it. Uh, uh, Actually, it was taken before my youngest sister was born, so she's going to feel left out here. But I had eight siblings in my household. And I wanted to just bring this up because I remember a conversation I had with my siblings as we grew older. And the question we posed for us, and this was after my dad had passed away. The question we posed was, was, who do you think was dad's favorite? Who was dad's favorite? Well, it's easy to imagine in a, in a family this big that, of course, the oldest, the oldest daughter, she's the favorite. Or, as you can see in the picture, there were six girls in a row. So that first son, was he the favorite? Or my youngest sister, who wasn't even there for this picture, was she the favorite? What surprised us in this talk, in this conversation we had, though, was that every one of us had a sense that we were favored by our father equally loved by our parents and yet for the most part out of that able to love and care for each other as siblings now you know i'm not going to make that real easy because there were conflicts and there were jealousies and there were fights so there always are in families and my parents they did not love us perfectly because they're imperfect people and yet I'm very grateful that we knew our father's love, our parents' love as his children. Before I go on, we have to recognize this is not the case for every family. And I, I, we have to say that out loud. Because maybe you today are even estranged from your siblings. Maybe you grew up in a home where parents' love was not a consistent thing. But what we want to talk about today, whatever family you've come from, your nuclear family, is that you, you and I are the favored ones in God.
God's family. So we're going to take a look today at those two passages that were read. Actually, the first John 4 one wasn't read, but we will look at it together, okay? But we're going to look at two aspects out of this book of First John, and I'm so thankful for the way Nancy, Pastor Nancy gave us a insight into the whole book of First John. You know, we're in this series called Genuine Community, and John writes all the time about what it means to live out in community in tangible ways, joys and challenges of it. And last Sunday, Pastor Mark shared from the second chapter of First John about the warning of counterfeit loves or counterfeit um, communities, the way others might beckon us away from the true Jesus and true love. And today we're going to see that genuine community is described in family terms. And we're going to ask ourselves, what is the true test of love in our family relationships? You know, you may be listening this morning, either in person or online, and not call yourself a child of God. I want to acknowledge that. We at Pine Lake Covenant Church say it is a safe place for hard questions. So if you are just investigating what it means to be a Christian, if you're not sure if you want to align yourself with Jesus Christ, this is a safe place for you. It's okay. I just trust that as you hear what God has to say about you and his invitation of love, that this might be a time you would discover, I want to be born of God as well. I want to know belovedness as his child. So here we are, 1 John chapter 3 and 1 John chapter 4. You might think I'm just grabbing pieces from this book, but you know, the way John wrote this letter, it is like he had this idea, and then he had this idea, and then he comes back to this idea. And this, so, so if we can pick and choose, it's not, it's not a thesis, so we're going to look at different parts of it. And as Pastor Nancy said, First John is toward the end of your Bible in the New Testament. So just a bit of a road map as we go into this passage this morning. And I encourage you, if you have your Bible in print or uh, digitally, that you open to these passages. We're going to take a look at this whole theme of the love of God by seeing the children of God see what love we've been loved with, and then to test this love. And finally, what does it mean to be complete in this love? It is all, almost as if we're saying, first of all, since we're loved, then we love, and finally, we're completed in love. So, see what love. Behold, some of the translations say, behold, look at this love with which you and I have been loved. John starts with this chapter 3 in a very uncluttered message. So simple that sometimes we can, we can just kind of, oh yeah, God is love, I know that. I learned that as a kid. Okay, move on. But here we see in this chapter that he wants us to take a clear look at it. And I would suggest every single day we need to take a clear look at this truth. We are so lavishly loved by God that he calls us his favorites, his beloved children. Now the false teachers, those that had been, Pastor Mark talked about last week in chapter 2, they had drawn people away from who Jesus truly was. And when you don't look at Jesus for who he is, then you can't know his love. 
They distorted the center of the gospel and they lost sight of the main thing. And so they lost their sense of self-confidence. That happens to all of us sometimes, right? Are we really loved? Do you know it? Do you live into it? But let's not get tired of saying these verses and reading them again because this is what it says in the first part of verse 1, chapter 3. See, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. That is what you and I are today. Children of God, lavishly loved. Yesterday, today, tomorrow. Love lavished on beloved children. That's our identity. And we remember that love, this kind of love, it's not something we manufacture on our own. God is the source of all of it. He's the source of community. He's the source of who we are. And so we have this elevated status, you and I do, as his children. Now, it's not because anything you've done. It's not because how great you love. It's not because of anything except for the lavish love of God initiated in him for you and I. I really want to pause here and just say, do you know your belovedness? Do you know how much you are loved this morning as you sit in this space or listen online? Not just head knowledge. But experiencing that love of God that is more real and more intimate than a parent loves a child. That's how much God loves you. How much he looks at you with favor and joy. You know, we sang this morning that song, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And those lyrics reminded us, God called our name. We're born into his family. His blood flows through your veins. I mean, that, that's pretty tangible. What's going on in the veins of your body is the love of God flowing in that. I only wish the song could have been a community statement. Because, yes, I am a child of God. But we, we are the children of God together. We are called by his name, adopted children, because of his love, because of his choosing. The second part of verse 1 talks about the way the world sees us. You know, it says this, The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. They didn't know God, so they didn't really recognize his people. And I think some of that is still true today. Um, You know, the elevated status we sense as children of God is not always recognized by the world. So you could say because they didn't know God the parent, they didn't know the parent's children in the right way. And the world doesn't really know us and is often hostile to faith. In one of the commentaries I read this week, which was so informative for me, Thomas B. Slater, he compares this response of the world to the hostility many believers have experienced over the years. Slater is an African-American professor of theology. And he points to the power of the church community and the affirmation of the love of God that has enabled so many marginalized people to triumph in community. He says it this way in one of his quotes. It is a self-avowed self-affirmation against the judgments of the wider society that has enabled so many black Americans to succeed 
despite the hostility expressed and limitations imposed. I think we need to hear this again, that our brothers and sisters in the African-American community have succeeded in the church because of this affirmation, this self-avowed truth that they are beloved of God and they are part of his family. And we too can hold to that as we look at people of all cultures across the centuries. God has a better story, a description of who we are, and we need to live into it. We come back again to this self-avowed, self-affirmation. It's saying it to ourselves. I, we are children of God. We are the beloved. We are favored. And that's not true, as the scripture says um, in this first part of John's third chapter. We don't know what it's going to look like in the future. Eventually, we're going to be like him, but we know what we are now. We are children of God. So we can't start there. I mean, like I said, this is how many times have you heard stories about the love of God? But how many times do we need to come back to it and soak in it and remember and affirm it again? We have been loved by a God whose love has no end. So if that's the truth of the way you and I are loved as children of God, how do we test that love in our own relationships? Because you know, love is not just something way out there. Love is an event. Love is something that comes to real people in real places. I hope you felt the security of love in the family you grew up in. I hope you're expressing it even now. But if you didn't, you can know the security of the love from God. So we're going to take a look now more specifically at the passage in John chapter 4, if you want to turn there, starting in verse 7. Don't you love it how John always says, dear friends, dear friends, dear brothers and sisters, I'm in the family with you. So he says this one in verse John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Did you know that the way you treat your siblings is an indication of if you believe God loves you? Now, I'm not just talking about the ones who might be in your home with you or who you visit on a picnic time. I'm talking about the people sitting here, the people worshiping with us online. The way we treat one another is an indication if we've received love from God. God, John uses this family image again. He says, you've been born of God. You, you're born in a new way. You're a new identity, born of God, a child of him. And that helps you to know God. And this experience of God's love is integral to your relationship with him. If you take a look at verse 7, the second part of it, it says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. You're a child of God because of his initiative. We see that in other places in the scripture. And you're born of him. And that's the only way you can know him. And verse 8 kind of describes it the same truth in the opposite way. It says this, whoever does not love does not know God. If you don't love, you don't know God. There's just no two ways about it. John's pretty emphatic and clear. And he says, of course, for God is love. 
God is the giver of love. God is the one who shows us love. And that gives us tangible ways that we can express love to, to others. Not an abstract concept in the head, but a real life, up close, next to one another, passionate action. And if we take a look at verses 9 and 10 in that passage, we see how this love is described in human history, in a real person. And of course we know who that person is, but we can't stop looking at Jesus Christ. He is the one who shows us what true love is. The way of love, His is he gives the test of love that we follow. And here's some of the ways I think he talks about it. You know, if, if we were to describe the way of Jesus' love, you know, you guys would all perhaps have a definition of what that looks like. But I'm going to just suggest these three from this, these couple of verses to say this is not just an idea to float around in the stratosphere. This is real love come up close. First of all, love for God as Jesus demonstrated it is obedient to God. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God sent the son, the son went. He was obedient to the call of love. And when we love others, we are called to be obedient to God first of all. Sometimes that means telling the truth to our friends in the church obedient to God's good purposes genuine love's always committed to that not just to making people feel good yes we do want that but to really commit it to the way that God defines fruitful living it's not sentimental love it's not just fluctuating against our sensibilities of what love looked like no it's obedient to the way of God so as we love others that is one of the tests of our love tied to the truth of who God is and what he says about life and of course the love that Jesus exhibited was other focused he gave up what was rightfully his to come for us so that, as this verse at the end of verse says, so that we might live. You and I are alive because God cared enough to not leave us where we were. What does that look like for you and I to be other focused? Is there something you need to give up of your own comfort, your own resources? your own privileges, your own status, in order that others might experience the love of God. Now, I can think of lots of specific examples that I've seen in this community before. People who are other-focused. But I, I, I don't want to lift one person up, but I would just say, if you, if you aren't at a place where you can give up something that is maybe yours in order to love others... You haven't seen this, this test of love, to love this other focused in the way Jesus did. And of course, it always calls for self-sacrifice. I don't like that word, do you? I mean, what do you need to sacrifice in order to love your brothers and sisters? Shouldn't it just be an easy thing, like I can just flow in the regular rhythms of my day? Jesus himself went to the cross 
out of love for you and I. Sacrificed his very life, as it says here in verse 10. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Sacrifice means it's used up. Sacrifice means there's something, no gain for you. It's giving something for the sake of others. It says it this way in 1 John 3, where he's talking about this same idea of the love of God. John writes, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, before I go to verse 17, what does it mean to lay down your life? I mean, that's a high calling. What does that mean for you and I? It's pretty easy to skim over that in our comfort here on the east side of Seattle and think that's for those missionaries who go overseas, that's for people in the past. No, this is for you and I, my friends. What does it mean for us to lay down our lives? Well, here's an example he gives. If anyone has material possessions, raise your hand if you have any material possessions. Okay, this is for all of us. Here we go. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? This is a test of the kind of love that we're called to love our siblings, to love others with. We don't do it to earn God's love. Because we can't ever measure ourselves up to that kind of love. We live outwardly what we have received inwardly. We are so lavishly loved that out of that space, we love each other. We're called to this commitment of love. Prepared to love each other. Since God loves us, then We're prepared to love others. And love is our committed calling because we have been loved with commitment. Now, Esme today helped us with that remember verse, but I want to make sure you know it. So I'm going to put it on the screen and we're going to say it together and then I'm going to take it away and see if you really know this verse because this is something we want to keep, as Pastor Nancy says, in our noggin and in our heart. So let's say it together, whether you're online or here in person. Let's say these words Boldly together. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also should love one another. Oh, I've got the wrong translation. Let's try what is on the screen. I memorized the wrong one. Let's do it again. Dear friends, since God loved us this much, we should also love one another. Okay, I'm going to take it away and just put this next slide. Let's try it. Dear friends, since God loved us this much, we should also love one another. Good job, everyone. Keep that memory. Remember verse with you. What John comes to at this end of this passage is a place of completeness in love or the teleos of love. You know, we we know that love is the inevitable result of being born of God. We're children of God and so we're loved. But it's not an automatic result. And so as we live into this call to love, those powerful examples we saw in verses 9 and 10, we can make God be seen. That's what it says there in verse 12. God. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, 
God lives in us, and his love is complete in us. Complete is that word teleos. The end goal of love is that it's completed in the way the community loves one another. Then when people look at us, they'll say, oh, I've seen God. I've seen the way that God loves by the way they love each other. We sang about it today, didn't we? They'll know we're Christians by our love. Do they know that, friends? Or do they know we're Christians because of our statements on political things? Do they know we're Christians because of our whatever it is, our theology, our doctrines? Or do they know we're Christians by our love? This is what John says, how we God is seen. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Well, let's be realistic about this kind of love. It's not easy. It's probably not natural. Without the love of God and the Spirit flowing through us, we couldn't love in this way. So wherever you're hearing me today, if you're sitting here in this space or elsewhere, I want you to look around. I mean, literally, look around. Look at people who are here and say, this is a person that God is calling me to love. How might I express obedient, other-focused, self-sacrificing love to the people that God has put in my life? The test of love, it comes down to real people, real situations, and it's not always easy. A revered English pastor, John Stott, quotes another theologian in his commentary on first john and i think it's so helpful because we can come out of a sermon like this and say yes love one another what a grand idea but he says this it is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital h than it is to love individual men and women and i would say children especially those who are uninteresting exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Okay, that's us, folks. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. God has put particular people in this community of faith and in your circle of influence that he is calling you to love, to make love be complete in People you encountered last week, people that you're going to encounter this week. And he's saying, this is what our call is. Because we've been lavishly loved, my friends, we give away what we did not deserve. The kind of love and that true test of love is to look at our belovedness and say, can I share that good news to those exasperating, uninterested, depraved, unattractive people, which I might be? Tomorrow as well to you. Can you allow your belovedness as God's favored sons and daughters to live itself out in very real situations? I trust the Holy Spirit to do that work. I'm not going to give you specific examples because I don't know who you're going to run into next week. But the Spirit does, and the Spirit will lead you into it. So let's not grow weary of this topic of love. Let's not say we've heard it before. Let's move on. As God's favorite sons and daughters, you and I are called to love in real, tangible 
ways, obedient, other-focused, self-sacrificing. According to one of the early church fathers and historians, Jerome, the Apostle John, who was one of the apostles who lived the longest, as he got older and older, he was so weak, he had to be carried into the church meetings. And often at the end of the meeting, the, the leaders would say, we want to hear a word from John again. So they'd help him to his feet. And they'd bring him towards the front. And he would say, little children, let us love one another. And the next week, little children, let us love one another. And after a while, the disciples were getting tired of hearing this every time. And like, we've heard that before from you, John. Why do you always say the same thing over and over? And this was his reply. Because it is the Lord's commandment. And if this only is done, it is enough. If this only is done... That we receive the love of God as his beloved children and then share it with others. It is enough. That is my prayer for us, my friends. To love one another as we have been loved. The true test of love. And I'm going to pray that for us today as we close. Lord, you have given us so much Lavish love continuing to be poured out on all. And as we stand in a place of being your beloved children, we want to be those who share that with others. Particular people, people in our lives that you have brought into relationship with us. People in this church community that you're calling for us to love so well that when the world sees us, they'll say, oh, that's what God is like. Lord, may that be what defines us as your people, as your beloved children, that we would love our siblings so well that it would flow out to others who don't even yet know they are children of God. We pray this through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.